What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blessings. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio. Featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Hello everyone, welcome to Spiritual Insights and thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Today we will um, continue our discussion uh, with regard to the body with Dr. Robert Rosenthal, uh, the body, source of life or source of, source of death. And there were some very important points we made last time, and we will continue with that and also introduce uh, some other topics that we would like to explore. But before we begin, I received some very sad news recently. A friend of the family <clears throat> has passed away, and... Um, His name was Bill Garnier, and he was portrayed in the miniseries um, Band of Brothers. And so I'd like to dedicate this segment to his memory. He was more than just a neighbor. He was more than a friend. He was like family. And um, I will miss him. I spoke to him about a week ago. And his last words to me were, I love you. So it's a very precious gift. And um, so anyway, many blessings to Bill. And I am more thrilled, honestly, I'll miss him. But I'm more thrilled that he gets to see his wife, Franny. I'm overjoyed for that. So I know that in a day or so, his peace will be mine. And I will be fine. It's just... He's very. He was very sweet and kind, and I got my sense of patriotism about this country from him. So it was a true miracle to be born on the same street as an American war hero, and he's one of the last surviving members of uh, the troop of paratroopers who stormed Normandy. He was very brave, he was very kind, and he was a pleasure to know. So I'd like to dedicate this to him, and welcome Dr. Bob. Uh, I'm looking forward to our Thank discussion. You, I'll I'll get it together in a second. Uh but let me let me turn it over to you and tell us about what we're going to be doing with today's segment, okay? Sure. Well, first, I am, you know, very sorry for your loss. And um it kind of 
pulls into um, Stark Highlight exactly what we're talking about. You know, today's topic is the body, um, and the moment you begin talking about bodies and recognizing that, as we said last time, we all have bodies and it's kind of the price of admission for physical reality, that the moment we enter, uh, we know we're going to leave. The body's going to die. Uh, there is no immortality. And so, you know, the sadness that you're experiencing, we've, we've all gone through that. We all know what that is. And, um, you know, and, 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 and so even though I, I didn't know Bill, I would offer blessings for his passing, and may he arrive wherever is in the best interests of his soul to arrive. Amen. So, yeah. So last time we, uh, as 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 promised, we we did cover a, a lot of territory. I mean, we looked at kind of the relationship between the ego and the body, and how different uh, spiritual systems, what their take is on that. The Huna system of the Hawaiians, uh, Tikkun, the the doctrine of of uh, the coming together of the fractured uh, fragments of the oneness of, of God. Um, we talked a little bit about death at the end. Um, and I think where I would like to begin is by revisiting uh, what I think is maybe the central notion in, in the attempt to understand how the physical body fits in the metaphysical system that is A Course in Miracles. Um, and and I go back to um, a phrase that I used in the last talk a month ago, which is that the ego mind is the symbol of the separation from God. The ego sees itself as distinct and separate. It's not part of anything. Um, and the body is the symbol of the ego. Indeed, the moment we find ourselves here and re- gain uh, a sense of individual consciousness probably around the age of two years old and and that individual consciousness gets reinforced and strengthened as we get older and older, um, perhaps even reaching its its apex uh, in adolescence where we believe we are unique and wonderful and no more than anyone else in human history has ever known. Um, That that process of um, ego reinforcement is is so emblematic of of separation. So what I want to do is look at how our notion of separateness enshrined in the idea of a physical body affects everything that we see and do and believe we are. And that, in fact, you could look at all of life as kind of this tension, this dynamic, between the reality of oneness, of God, uh, of unity, that pulls us to affiliate and come back together and want to be part of something bigger on the one hand, and this ego-based, stubborn, angry, attacking, petulant uh, little piece of mind that, that wants to be individual, that says mine, and who hasn't had a two-year-old that stomped his or her feet and went mine? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, <laughs> right? Uh, Absolutely. That, that, that we go back and forth between this. So I think it starts actually, once we have a body, there's a reversal in 
in, in the status of reality, and it works in this way. Once we have a body, we think our body is public. Everyone gets to see my body, whether I like it or not. You know, they see my face. I'm, I'm recognized and identified by that outward appearance. And yet, I am allowed the illusion that my mind, my thoughts are private, that they're all, um, that they're there just for me. The ego mind is indeed private. It doesn't want to join. It doesn't want oneness. Um, but the moment we have that dichotomy, which of course in miracles and Asian philosophy um, and mystics of all stripes would say, no, 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 that, that's not it. You know, it's all one and we've just mistaken that oneness and chopped it up and divided it and turned our eyes away from it so we no longer see it. But once we have this idea of, of kind of a private mind, we're already deep, deep, deep in separation. Um, there was a famous German philosopher, Ludwig Wittgenstein, who looked at the philosophy of language and actually used the term private mind, but used it uh, in an interesting way. He made the point that if, if each mind was truly completely private, we wouldn't be able to communicate at all. We'd have no sense that anything anyone was saying related to anyone else. Um, now, to some extent, we could argue, well, maybe when I say, gee, look, that's purple, the color that I'm seeing isn't the same as the color purple you're seeing, even though we both label it purple. But Wittgenstein made the point that there's so much of our world and experience that, that is just known and shared. Um, first and foremost, I would say love. How would anyone know what love is just from words or language or even experience? I mean, you know, I can hug someone and not love them, and I can love them and not hug them. Um, I can stare longingly and love them and never be with them. In other words, that, that, that experience of love if mind were completely private, as the ego would like us to believe, how could we ever know what love is and, and know that someone else knows that? How could we know happiness or sadness uh, or any of the emotions for that matter? Um, and indeed, we can look at someone's face and see a, a happy face or a sad face, and there's a certain amount of connection there. But even that goes to the notion that our minds really aren't as private as we think. They're, they're very much linked. Um, my favorite sort of practical example of that, uh, and, and this still happens to me, is you, know, you notice someone on the street or you're sitting at a traffic light and someone pulls up next to you and you happen to look over at them and you're, you know, you're kind of observing and thinking about who they might be. And mm -hmm. invariably, they turn around and look back at you. Now, mm -hmm. why would that happen? You can argue, oh, in their peripheral vision, maybe they saw you. No way, because there are mm -hmm. plenty of times in a car yeah, where you're not looking over and they don't look back and you go your seemingly separate ways. So I think the first casualty to oneness when we um, conceptualize our sense of identity as a physical body with a brain and a mind stuck inside of it is the sense that we somehow have a private mind, that we are separate from everyone else. Because the moment we're separate, well, now we have to protect our own individual physical body. That becomes um, our, our primary goal is the survival of the body. Um, our secondary goal, probably the pleasure and satisfaction of the body. And 
from here a whole host of uh, ills flows forth. So if I'm a body, and if you're a body, and there are seemingly limited resources, I'd better get mine before you get yours. That's true whether it's three siblings at a table with a piece of cake that they all want, or <laughs> whether it's one planet with um, oil that is uh, limited in how much it comes out of the ground, and all these different countries want their piece of the oil pie. Mm. So immediately in the body, we are faced with the notion of scarcity. I might not get what I want. I might not get what I need. Now notice, if we carry that a little deeper, well, what's the harm of not getting what I want? Ultimately, the only harm of not getting what you want is you could die. So that the entire body-based system of prioritizing and valuing um, what is out there in life ultimately distills down to, well, if I don't get what I want, I might die, or someone else might get it before me, uh, and then, uh, then they might kill me. But, but death is there in the background, however we look at it. So we have this private mind. Um, we're in this body that's separate and that needs all of its own uh, stuff to survive. And maybe that starts with food and clothing, but it rapidly expands. So at a certain point, I realize um, these are my toys. This is my room. This is my house. I bought it. And my house sits on my property. Um, the sense of a separate self sort of uh, resonates throughout our entire sense of awareness. And we talked about this last time in terms of group affiliations. You know, I'm Jewish, you're Catholic, he's Muslim, um, you know, we must be at odds. Uh, but I, I, want, I want everyone to appreciate how, how much this is infuses every aspect of our being. This is my car, you're driving your car. Um, the cars have to, you know, then have rules for the roads so that our cars don't crash. And indeed, that's probably a good thing. Um, you know, this is uh, my school. My school plays a football game against your school. Therefore, we're rivals. Um, when I get older and go to work, I'm working for one corporation, and there are other corporations that are rivals to that corporation. As a physician, I have my practice my private practice and my patients come to see me but if if someone else is a better doctor then they're going to go see them and then I won't make enough money and then I'm going to die uh. so we live in this world that's just shattered with with separation even our five physical senses if we really think about it are all about separation and taking a, a oneness a unity and chopping and dividing it up um, our eyes see only a very small fraction of the entire electromagnetic spectrum. You know, we call it light, and then it goes from the color uh, violet, you know, to the color uh, uh, red, uh, and then that goes over into infrared and ultraviolet, which we don't even see. We're not even aware of it. There actually mm -hmm. are species of birds that see in the ultraviolet range, and I've often wondered, huh, I wonder what the world looks like to them. But we are very blinkered. We only hear in a certain frequency. For those of you who have canines, uh, dog pets, you know, we all have had the experience where the dog suddenly sits up and looks around and starts barking, and you're going, huh, what's that about? Well, mm -hmm. the dog has a wider range of experience in terms of hearing. Dogs also have better senses of smell, so when you take your dog for a walk, 
he or she is stopping everywhere, and you know they know what's gone on in that spot for the last three days in terms of what other dogs have been there. We have a much, much more broken up sense of that. But all of these, all of the five senses just give us a very limited um, description of, of the oneness that is a reality. And when we buy into that description, we lose the oneness. The moment I look out my window and say, oh, there's a tree and there's another tree, I'm no longer seeing the oneness. I, I'm not seeing the woods. I'm seeing the trees. The moment I see the woods, I'm not seeing the sky above and the ground below. So the very nature of the body's perception of the world puts us into um, this frame of separation that then feeds and reinforces the ego mind. What else about bodies? I mean, bodies have to survive. So to survive, what do we need to do? We need to eat. We need to be safe. We need to be sheltered. Um, we need resources. We need to consume stuff. Well, how do you ever know when you have enough? And this then, I think, opens the door to what we think of as greed uh, or gluttony, if we want to go with one of the seven deadly sins. But in fact, I would argue is just um, a given when we're operating through the ego mind. Because the ego mind, like the body, knows that it's finite. It's not going to live forever. It doesn't have anything else to, um, to, to rely on. And therefore, it keeps trying to get more and more and more. But it's kind of stockpiling in, in the wrong place, in the wrong way. Um, you know, it, 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 it's sort of, I mean, I can't think of an analogy, but the ego, you know, you can have billions and billions of dollars. You can be Bill Gates or the Koch brothers, and you're still going to die at the end of the day. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's not going to protect you. Your body consciousness is not going to do that. And then I think the final place I want us to sort of look at is if the ego is the symbol of separation and the body is the symbol of the ego, are there symbols of the body that also function in terms of separation? I, I think there are, and um, I'm making this, this connection um, for the first time, uh, so it might have some holes in it, but let's just mm -hmm. think about this. If we're thinking about our physical bodies and their need for survival, in our world, what is it that we believe will guarantee survival of our body? You know, what is the magic uh, wand that if we have it, we stop worrying, or at least we think we're going to stop worrying, and we know that our needs will be taken care of? I think that's money. I think money becomes yet another level of abstraction in, in sort of this um, nested, uh, you know, shell game of separation where, all right, uh, I'm a private mind in a body. Um, the body needs to survive. In order to survive, the body needs money. And once again, I'm at odds with everybody else. Um, you know, what I get, someone else is going to lose. This zero-sum game mentality extends into the world of, of money and um, greediness. Now, I then have to protect what I have. Uh, because if I'm a limited physical body, then that body can be attacked, it can be killed, it can be raped, it can be violated. If mm -hmm. I am the extension of my body into my home and my possessions, well, my house can be stolen from. I can lose things that are precious to me. We see where the whole cascade of insecurity, fear, attack, um, defense, attack, 
uh, the best offense is a, the best defense is a good offense. We can see mm-hmm. how all of this, you know, then um, comes into being. But what's the alternative? I said at the beginning that there's kind of this 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 dynamic tension, this push pull between the ego's desire to push away and be separate and be separate from everything, um, and in particular be separate from any notion of God, and yet at the same time, if we're completely alone, we, 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 we die, we suffer. Um, you know, what do they do with, with the worst prisoners when they uh, violate the rules of the prison? They throw them in solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. You know, we separate them from from even the other prisoners, uh, because being alone, we know, is worse than violence. Babies, um, infants in orphanages who are never touched are held. They die. Uh, yes. They call the condition marasmus. You know, uh, a child needs to have some sense of connection and touch. As we grow older, what do we do? We make friends. Um, you know, in school, we, we want to connect. We join teams, we join uh, religions, we join clubs and political parties. So that in contrast to this, this pull towards separation, we're constantly wanting to be more than just what our individual physical body is. The problem is that whatever we join, whatever club we then belong to with our bodies, there's another club somewhere that we don't belong to, so we just kind of get these bigger and bigger tents in which we feel one in union, but somewhere out there there's a tent that, that isn't us, and, and that's where uh, separation and conflict and war live on. Mm. So the goal of, of love, the goal of any spiritual system, I would say, is to recognize where separation is taking us one way and that the ego mind only knows separation, and instead to look at that within us which is one, which is universal. And to me, that always brings us back to love. Um, so I guess the final thing I would just kind of put out there for all of us to um, wonder about is, all right, well, what about love? Um, don't bodies share love? And what about sexuality? I mean, of course, in Miracles is extremely reticent and quiet on the topic of sexuality. I, I think that's because Helen was Helen Shuckman, the woman who uh, channeled it, was extremely uncomfortable with the topic. Um, but but if you think about what is sexuality, it's a fundamental desire to be at one with another being that we root through the body, that we're trying to get a body which, by definition, is separate into this, this place of oneness with someone else. And, you know, under the ideal circumstances uh, where there really is just lots of love and comfort and no shame and really good communication and the lights are low and the violins are playing and you haven't had too much fettuccine for dinner and da-da-da-da, um, under those circumstances we do kind of achieve that, that mystical state of oneness for a brief period. I think this is one of the most, um, call it, devious tricks of, of, of separation in the ego mind that ironically the place that we try to get an experience of oneness, and I would even go so far as to say that the experience of orgasm is very close to the experience of spirit in God. Um, 
But again, it's rooted through the body. So we tend to think of it in body terms. We tend to experience love sexually in body terms. And in the process, it inevitably gets stuck in separation. You know, mm. my needs are different than your needs. I look different than yours, you know. Uh, and so the whole edifice kind of crumbles. What we want to be able to do is recognize, go right back to the beginning, mind isn't private. All of our minds are joined. We are all sitting here. If you're listening now, if you're listening uh, a week from now, that doesn't matter. We are all tuning in on the same journey, the same spiritual quest to remember our oneness, to remember our inherent divinity that, 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 that um, transcends the body. And we're all on that path. Even the most dense, locked-in, non-spiritual human being there is who is certain that his or her body, it's probably a him, I hate to say it, um, that his body is, <laughs> is all there is, and he's going to get what he can um, and enjoy it while he can before death wipes him out. Even that person is on a spiritual journey because that belief system is unsustainable. What happens? At the end, he's going to die. And I do want to talk about death more today, um, but I want, I want us to realize that the oneness, the love, is irrepressible. It finds its way through despite the separation. It, it, it's always there. It's always calling to us. Um, it's, it's always whispering to us. There's a, a Rumi poem that I heard someone describe and read in a lecture, and I can't remember where it is, and I've looked through every book of Rumi poetry I have, and I'm not able to find it, but it's a beautiful poem that talks about a caravan that's leaving, and it leaves over the space of days. And one group of people leaves in the morning, and another leaves at noon, and another leaves um, sometime uh, in the evening when it's cool out. Um, and they all seem to be different, but they're all taking the same journey. They leave at different times. They might see different sites along the way. Their paths might go in slightly different directions, but they're all going to the same place. And, and that's the journey that, that we're all here um, part of. That's the spiritual journey. You know, that caravan left uh, the moment we found ourselves in physical reality. And some of us are sitting there at the destination in the promised land or the real world or heaven or the kingdom of heaven. Um, and they're coming through the one-mindedness and guiding the rest of us who are still uh, lost here to some extent in separation. And then there are those of us on the path where, where, you know, we can smell the date blossoms and we can feel there's water out there ahead and we know we're getting close. And then there are those who haven't even left camp yet, who don't even realize that, that they're on a journey, but they will. They'll get there. So the physical body, to come, to come back to the topic of the day, you know, it's, it's how we make the journey. Um, last uh, month we talked about how in the hands of the Holy Spirit the body becomes a, a learning device and a communication device because Holy Spirit is the translator of, of the mind of God, of God's world and God's will into the world of separation and form. Um, the moment you're on that journey, everything changes, and even though we are still living in a world of fractured perception, that perception begins to shift, and we recognize oneness and love in our reality um, with increasing ease. Um, we teach only love, for that is what we are. And I guess finally, and where I want to stop with this, is 
the message of the crucifixion, according to A Course in Miracles, uh, and its author should know because he was there. Uh, the <laughs> message of the crucifixion is teach only love, for that is what you are. Well, what's meant by that? You can do the worst possible things to a physical body. I mean, crucifixion really kind of um, pegs the needle. It's a 10 on the scale of, of the most gruesome stuff that we can imagine. Um, and you don't touch the reality of the being at all. Uh, in one of Gary Renard's books, he talks about, uh, and you, know, you can um, take this with a grain of salt or not, but that at the time of the crucifixion, the Roman soldier who was stabbing uh, Jesus, Yeshua, with a spear was really angry because he couldn't get a response out of him. Well, mm. why? Because he was pure spirit. The body, you know, the body wasn't sending him messages of pain. There was no guilt in him. There was no substrate upon which pain could hang itself. Therefore, he was already spirit. The body, yes. yeah, you can destroy the body. Teach only love, for that is what you are. So the ultimate message of the body, there we go. We're here to teach love. All right, um, let me stop. I'm sure, Shar, you have um, thoughts and things you might want to add. Uh, at, when when Shar's done, if there are um, any questions, anyone wants to call in, um, I forget the number, but Shar, maybe you can put it out there for our listeners. And uh, if you're live, you can call in with a question. Uh, and I'm going to stop talking because my body needs a drink right now. <laughs> okay. You go ahead and pause, Bob. Um, yes, I would love, uh, if you have any questions to call in or anything you'd like to share, uh, do call in. And the number is area code 347-934-0751. Press 1 if you would like to ask a question, and we will get you on the air uh, as quickly as we can. Of course, yes, there are always uh, nuggets of wisdom that I jot down um, that, that are inspired by what Bob says. The first is that I'd like to touch upon, Dr. Bob, where you mentioned, you know, minds are linked. Um, and you mentioned how when you pull up next to a car and someone and the driver in the other yeah. car and you turn and look, and it's not because you saw, they saw you peripherally, it's because they felt it. And I had to chuckle because I experienced that just this morning in a strange way. Like normally, what I like about the South is you can pull up at a red light, look over, and the person in the car nods and, and does the hello nod. And uh, I really Not I in New really, Jersey. <laughs> not in New Jersey or Philly, and... Um, you basically keep your eyes straight unless you're inviting. Um, it, it can be very provoking to an ego that is looking for um, a way to attack. But here in the South, it's a totally different vibe. And that was one of the first things I noticed is I pull up and people, even someone walking down the street, will if, you, if they make eye contact, the majority of people will acknowledge you and wave. And you can feel this connectedness, this love. So this morning, it was around 8 o'clock, and there's, I live in a neighborhood where there's uh, trains going by frequently. And so depending on the street that you take, you may have to stop as the, mechani the mechanical arm comes down, and you have to wait for a train to go by. And sometimes you, you'll be sitting there for a while. So you do your best. You look and you try to strategize. You do your best to avoid having to wait. And um, I do get frustrated to a point, but then I say trains represent spiritual journeys. If you're going to get upset about this, 
there must be something else you're really upset. So, I, of course, I start analyzing it and turn it into something spiritual. But today, um, the lights started flashing, the arm came down, and here comes a train. And I'm looking at it, and I was like, here we go again, it's okay. But then something made me turn, because I'm looking to my left to watch this man change, uh, pull the lever that switches the track. And I'm watching him, and I'm, I, was, I was just in my own thoughts. But something made me turn my head to the right. Where, why would I want to look to the right? I'm looking, watching the activity, and then I need to make a left turn. But something made me turn my head to the right, and I turn, and the man in the car to my right looks at me and makes this face like, again, can you believe this? And I looked, I just, I smiled and gave him the thumbs up and said, right? And went back. And then, But I was thinking, that was funny, because it felt like he needed at that moment to communicate with somebody and I obliged it like what somebody you know it just felt it's very thick there was um there's a thickness yeah, even to in the our energy. suffering we want to share it exactly and so that was funny so I just wanted to share that little anecdote that that the the sensation always precedes any type of peripheral vision and with that I guess I should segue into what you just said as the body uh, being a learning device as described by A Course in Miracles, and I would totally agree and say yes, because all that the body with the five senses and the brain, which we think does our, you know, the, our thinking, um, that's, a, that's a deep subject, but I want to say yes. It collects data, it collects possessions, and it collects accomplishments. It collects what it thinks it knows about the world, other people, relationships, um, the, the best way to negotiate with another person to get what you want out of that person, be it themselves, a place or a thing, a, an object, that type of thing. And getting married, some people see as an accomplishment. Some people see it as like a buffer to the outside world. We have our trophy wives. We have marrying up the social ladder or saving ourselves from being alone. Some people see marriage in, through the ego's lens as an accomplishment when it should be about the joining of two human beings in God's love. So I wanted to touch on that. Would you like to add to what I just said? And then I have other points to reinforce. Sure. Um, just briefly, as, as a couples therapist who um, sits with many troubled couples, even in the course of a week, um, yeah, we, we're, we're captive to a notion of someone else out there can save us from the misery that is our own being. Um, a Course in Miracles calls this a special relationship. Uh, Hollywood calls this a happy ending, um, hmm. where they walk off into the sunset and you never see the squabbling and the issues that come up and, you know, he never puts the toilet seat down and, you know, she goes and buys the wrong things at the grocery store. So. The, the idea that anyone else, because of their special personality, qualities, body, etc., can save us uh, from from suffering, sorry, uh, that that's delusional. That's basically an addiction and a drug. On the yeah. other hand, when you meet someone who is your partner on the path, who speaks the same language or at least wants to speak the same language, then you become, 
you know, think of it as sparring partners. You're going to get better and better at what you're doing, only you're not sparring. It's partners in, in expressing and experiencing love and overlooking the grievances that we all hold that get in the way of love. So that's a very good point. You know, marriage as kind of an ego ideal of, oh, good, look, I'm married, um, versus the sense that, no, it's, it, it, it's a statement of who you're walking your path with, uh, at least, you know, this go-round, uh, I mean this lifetime. <laughs> yes. And on the subject of sexuality, um, I've often taught, um, because I think it's an important point to make, especially when, when we're on the subject of um, separateness and special relationships, as you mentioned, um, a special relationship being that we seek to get from a partner what we feel we're lacking. And then that is a wobbly platform upon which to build what we are hoping for is a real relationship, but um, perhaps we can go into that in another segment. But I would often say in my classes, you know, the closest one person, one human being can possibly get to another is physical affection. Mm-hmm. In order to really get closer to that person, it has to come through the heart. We can have a meeting of the minds, but love is the bonding agent. Would you like to yeah. add to that? Um, that? That love, as, as I was saying earlier, I think love is the irrepressible quality of God that we can't keep out of the world of dukkha, maya, illusion. Um, you know, we, we can't stomp it out. We can't blind ourselves to it. It's there. And when push comes to shove, it's the only thing that counts. Um, So in a sense, if love becomes confused and conflated with sexuality, if love becomes confused and conflated with um, doing a particular activity together, gee, we both ski together, or we both went through the ruins of of, uh, Machu Picchu together, then it, how to put it, it, it detracts in the sense that we forget how abstract uh, love is and, and, and how it's always, always there. Um, I mean, we probably could and should do a whole segment just on love at some point, although I suspect we'd get to a place of going, okay, there it is. Let's just all be quiet, and that doesn't work for a radio show. Right. Um, but, yeah, so affection. Oh, I know where I was going with that. Um, that's why for most of us, when we have children, uh, for those of us who do have children, that experience of complete unconditional love as you're holding your newborn infant is perhaps as close as people get to um, agape, uh, the Greek term for you know, love of everything. But it's still not that. It's still focused on one particular being. And in that sense, and I, I mean, I, 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 you know, I suspect if I were saying this on a very broad platform, I'd get call-ins and people um, getting mad at me for this. But in that sense, it is still special. I mean, now, do I love my kids more than anything? Yes, I do. But I'd like that not to be special. I'd like to love everybody, not at the level of their egos and personalities, but at the level of their oneness with me. I'd like to love them all just as much as I love my kids and more. And I'd like to be able to love my kids better than I love them by recognizing them as more than just their personalities with all the quirks and, you know, good news and bad news about their personalities. Because even 
the most beloved child in the world does things that ticks their parents off. Uh, and even the most loving mother in the world um, will still be perceived by her kids as um, a pain in the neck sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's the nature of, of love. Uh, you know, the, the, it's the nature of specialness. It, it, mm-hmm. It's not um, unconditional love. I mean, it's not you know, God love. So, yeah. yeah, we could go on and on about that. <laughs> sure. And, and I suspect that, you know, a segment on that would turn into um, like a five-part. But, um, <laughs> yes. And, and when you were saying, um, you had said, how do you know you have enough? And that struck me profoundly. And you were saying that, you know, as we go out and acquire, you had posed the question, you know, are there symbols of the body, uh, other symbols? And you cited examples such as your house being robbed, the body being attacked or violated. Um, And in my mind, what kept coming through was a strong word, and it was insurance, insurance, Mm. insurance. So what is the insurance that protects you from loss is the question that is begged from those examples. And as I wrote that, you said it's love. Love is the insurance. That indemnifies us. And, you know, and and we're looking for protection from loss, protection from humiliation. And we're looking when the ego jumps in and starts projecting all the hopes and fears in front of you, casting a shadow on reality and and demonstrating through fantasy that if you lost this person, if your car was damaged, if your house burnt down... This is the magnitude of the loss you will feel. So you have to protect yourself against it. And whether you, whether you fortify your home with an alarm system and smoke alarms, whether you, whether you fortify your relationship with additional possessiveness and separate, there are relationships, and I, I'm sure you've seen them, there are relationships where we start to divide and conquer to limit the loss speaking in, in, in insurance terms, when you limit your loss, um, yeah. the, the potential, there are, there are steps we take and maneuvers that we employ to ensure against loss and relationships and losing our possessions. And that simply cements our, the, the ego's lock on us through that, through that vein. And the insurance then is like you just said, to love unconditionally. And I love what you said about, you know, loving people as much as you love your children. You, you know, your heart is so is, is probably open wider than it will ever be in any other circumstance as, as it is with the birth of a child. Um, I guess I should throw out a grandchild, too. I don't know why, but I have to throw that out there. Let's, let's because that, yeah. it's an extension, but your heart is so open but then it kind of goes back to normal with the routine day-to-day activities. And, of course, it's not easy raising a child. We, we all have something to learn. But I think in order to get there, if we can as often as possible go to this place and then stay there as long as we can, we can achieve this. And that is this, to open your heart and imagine everyone you meet as a as, See them as a soul. See them through God's eyes. See them as you would see your newborn child. And those of us who do not have children, we can still use our imaginations to help us affect this. And look at, at people at, in their true innocence. 
and you can feel that love. There's a Tibetan Buddhist meditative practice that I heard from uh, Bob Thurman, uh, professor of religion at Columbia and and the first ordained uh, Tibetan Vajrayana priest uh, in the U.S. That and of course in in Buddhism, reincarnation is a given. So we're you know going around again and again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, but the meditation is to see everyone as your most loving mother because in one lifetime or another they actually were. So you take that template and you just basically um, slide it over you know, your worst enemy, the stranger you don't know. They're all your infinitely loving mother. And yet, as we were just saying, even that is only an approximation because from, from God's perspective, um, it, it's way more than even the best, most tender, loving uh, mothering can get. Mm. Um, but it's a nice, it's a nice meditative practice. Uh, you know, just think of everyone you know and just go there. Um, or better still, think of them as as yourself, uh, and both of you radiant in in the love that is the oneness of God and Spirit. Um, mm, I, 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 I like that you went to the insurance thing. I, I just real quick. Uh, you know, in terms of the ego thinking about money as a symbol of itself, I hadn't uh, picked up on that, but insurance is a great example. So somebody dies, well, you can't make up for that, you know, um, the losses. There. But, but with insurance, well, we'll compensate with money, you know. Mm. Um, what do we do in court when someone offends us and, you know, when there's a lawsuit, uh, you know, well, we won't, we'll, we'll get restitution. Uh, you know, money becomes this sort of... Uh, you know, uh, fallback option that for love. And unfortunately, even though we all go around saying money can't buy you love, there are far too many people in this world who are striving for money at the expense of love. Uh, and I think it's part of what has our world in the, uh, the tragic shape uh, that, it, that it's in. Yeah. On the other hand, what do you expect from egos? I mean, you said this last month, Char, that it's chaos and a mess. And of course it is. Uh, how could it be otherwise? So... Uh, exactly. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Yeah. It's it's funny. I used to be an insurance broker. Huh. Um. So so for me, it makes sense. Um. That I would want to, you know, that that would be part of my thought process. But I don't think about that stuff. That was years ago. It's over a decade ago. But when it when it came in with the word insurance, I I knew where they wanted me to go in um, adding to the conversation. But I'd like to. Um, swing this around. Oh, I wanted to mention, I was at a conference uh, once back in the mid-90s, and the gentleman speaking said, why do we buy life insurance? Why, you know, why do we do this? And I'm like, you know, well, to, to get paid, you know? And he was like, no, like, what are we insuring? What are we insuring yeah. with this? And his answer was love. And I had to sit and think about that. And I was like, well... Huh. It's an interesting way of putting it, but in the end, I do believe that it's, you know, a way for everybody involved to make money. The insurance company collects their premiums, yeah. and, and when that person passes away, you collect on something you paid into. It's, it's all ridiculous. Uh, anyway, but it, the way, when he said that the answer was love, that, that had me thinking for a while after that. But I wanted to segue back to your caravan. Oh, um, yeah. Example, 
That was beautiful. And I want to say that, yes, you know, in terms of incarnation, we arrive at the beginning point at different times. We get to the destination at, the, at differing times. But to uh, remind the listeners, you know, call, call up once again that image of the caravan. Everyone leaving over a period of time, everybody sets off are born or, you know, progresses at different times. They also go at different paces. So I think it's important to, um, in terms of separation and looking around you at the people in your world, that we all have to remind ourselves we're all on the same path and we're all going to the same place. But as Dr. Bob said, we'll have different scenery and we might catch different sunsets. You, You know, whatever, there will be variances in perception to that journey. We won't all experience the same things, but there will be enough similarity to be able to relate to other people no matter where they are. But I want to look at the image of wagons or what have you, chariots mm. and and rabid dogs, whatever have you, but do not lament your position in that journey. Do not compare yourself or get frustrated with the people who are kind of behind you in the caravan. They're not on the same level. And don't envy the people who are ahead of you. It does not make them better, and it doesn't doesn't make them more knowledgeable or luckier. Appreciate where you are, but appreciate where everybody else is in their spot in the caravan. Because we're all moving in unison, even though it doesn't look like that. And I'll lob that right over to you, Dr. Bob. Good. Yeah, I'm going to catch that ball and uh, make a a hard left with it. Um, And I want to come back to death uh, because we've talked about the body and that the body inevitably dies. But the question that we all have here is, well, what happens after we die? I mean, for most of us, well, For the atheists out there, well, the answer is easy. Nothing happens after you die. The body's gone. The consciousness is gone because it was rooted in the brain, and that's it. But if if we judge by the popularity of um, the countless books out there that are uh, recounting near-death experiences, you know, proof of heaven and uh, uh, dying, I forget, you know, I mean, there are just so many. uh, I could probably put a list together. Um, clearly we as limited physical beings who do all too often identify with our bodies and our ego minds, we need to know that, that there's something else out there. Now, one of what I would call a fallacy of new age thinking that I run across a lot is, yeah, we're stuck in this world and it's pretty bad, but once you die, it's going to, you know, once you die, you're not limited to a body. You get to experience God in spirit. Um, and, and even though I think there's truth to that, because the moment that we're no longer bound by a body and by a personal ego, there is that opening to the oneness. Um, and for many of you, uh, I'm sure if you've sat with someone in, as they take their final uh, leave of physicality and go to the other realms or, or pass on, you know, it's kind of like, like there's this gorgeous slipstream of light and oneness that we just get pulled into and we feel it with them. Uh, So there is that movement into ultimate reality, but, 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 but something keeps us going back again. 
So A Course in Miracles says there is no death just as there is no birth. You've been here all along uh, because your oneness is spirit and your oneness is of God. Uh, and you know, therefore, you, you can no more die than, than you can be born. You are an idea, an idea in the mind of God. And when we go uh, and look for reassurance then, and, and I guess this is where I was trying to get to, I think it does help. If, if we can think about a notion that, yes, when our physical body dies, we are not um, dead with it, that something does survive. But the notion that the personal ego goes on, that, um, that the person we contact uh, on the other side is exactly who they were here, I, I think that's a misunderstanding, and I actually think the other side will mold and shape itself into the form of people that we loved, because love allows that communication to take place in order to give us messages that decrease our fear, because nothing gets in the way of love like fear. Um, mm. Fear is the ego's bread and butter. The ego will see fear everywhere, uh, and the more we're in fear, the less we're in love. Uh, you know, I, I well, I. I when you were talking about the South, I was remarking to myself, I find it remarkable that, yeah, you know, so at a personal level, people are so much more friendly and more able to share love, and yet we've got these almost archetypes of the Southern cop who, you know, bust your ass for nothing or, or the racial disparities. Um, so once again, you know, the contradictions of the ego. But what happens when we die? There are a lot of books out there um, but I think the ultimate understanding is we don't die. The real essence of us doesn't die. Therefore, the more that you are identified with your physical body and your ego, the more afraid of death you're going to be, and the more terrifying death will be when it comes, and probably the more lost you will be as a mind, as a consciousness on the other side. On the other hand, if you have worked during your physical lifetime to experience yourself as more than a physical body, as consciousness, as being, awareness, and bliss, as the uh, Hindus would put it, Satchitananda. Um, if that's your identity, and as you go through life, it's like, yeah, you know, I got this, this weird thing that's a body that allows me to kind of function in the virtual reality world of, of uh, planet Earth, but that's not me, and I... And, and that's not just an intellectual idea. I'm experiencing that because I've tapped into it so many times that it's no longer just there when I'm meditating or just there in tremendous lovemaking or just there when I'm staring out over the Grand Canyon at sunset. It, it, it's there because it is my reality. Then I can't tell you what death will be like because I'm not there yet and I'm not in a hurry to get there. Still a lot of work to do here. But I can say that what dies, what gets sloughed off, will, will not be the essence of, of who you are. And I think that is perhaps one of the most important learnings of the spiritual path, is to identify with that which is the, the eternal self, back to um, teach only love, for that is what you are. When we experience ourselves as pure, loving consciousness that is vast and eternal and endless, then what can die from that? Um, you know, how can that have an end? It, 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 
you know, once you've tapped into that and experienced it, there, there is no death. Um, and that, to me, is the goal of, of the spiritual journey. Um, what happens then when we die, whether we're absorbed back into the oneness of God and creation or whether we do the bodhisattva thing and come back because the oneness that is us is still locked into physical reality in all of our brothers uh, or our twins, as I uh, put forward last time, um, and we need to help free them. Whatever happens, I don't know. That's, you know, that's sort of above my pay grade at the moment. But <laughs> if we can... You know, if we can recapture, re-embody, um, disembody, dis- disidentify with the body and quote-unquote re-embody our sense of oneness with love and God, then, then there really is no death and, and, it's, and it doesn't need to be um, something fearful. So I, I just, you know, I realized we had talked about death and not dealt with, you know, perhaps that, that most important piece. And indeed, mm-hmm. the messages that come back from the other side are, uh, are, universally loving and uh let me just read into the record what uh you know dr eben alexander to me the only three lines of that book that anyone need remember although it is a wonderful book proof of heaven are you are loved and cherished dearly forever you have nothing to fear and there is nothing you can do wrong those three words i mean those three lines that's it that's Mm -hmm. that's that, that's, that's spiritual reality. You're loved and cherished deeply, dearly, forever. Love, eternal. You have nothing to fear. Well, because how can fear enter into love? How can, if, there, if, if all you are is oneness, what can break up oneness and create non-oneness and bring fear in? And in that world, what can you do wrong? Because everything here is just illusion. And in terms of the reality of love, all you are is love um, there is no sin, it's just a mistake. You've, you've enacted something mistaken. And in the fullness of time, as you walk that caravan path, you know, it will be corrected and you'll come into love. So mm. the messages that come from the other side all aid and abet and support that same notion, teach only love for that is what you are. Mm. I would agree. Uh, so, given... Mm. Yeah, so that's I, I think that's just very important to kind of um, you know make sure we get that in there when we're talking about the body and the physical body and its inevitable death. Yes, absolutely. And you know, throughout this whole journey in life, you know, everybody um, everybody wants peace underneath. If you made a list of what you want deep down, what we all want is peace, and it's um, it, it's achievable through forgiveness. Mm. And then with regard to messages coming from the other side, the goal in and, and my job as a conduit for those messages, the goal is always peace for the person receiving the message. And, and it's to uh, close the gap. You know, when, when people die, we see them as gone and far away and, and non-existent. But it's not true. And what you said a few minutes ago about... Um, dying and you know the end of things and you hit the magical word of form what i was writing as you were saying that was that statement i don't know who who wrote it but it's um energy can neither be created nor destroyed it can only Uh, change form and so birth is not the creation of you it's simply the expression of you as created through two other bodies 
and death is not the end of you. It's simply the removal of that temporary suit, that identification, so that you can return to your original essence, which is love created by love. And on terms of what happens when we die, I mean, you know, good examples, and whatever religion uh, you subscribe to, I'm sure your religion has ideas on this, and if you would like to step out into a metaphysics, you can start with Sylvia Brown. Um, there are many writings. You know, you can you can explore that topic and draw the conclusion that is comfortable for you and your belief system. If you wanted to explore the topic of separation, get Dr. Bob's book, From Plagues to Miracles. Because that's what essentially it's all about. You take us through that journey with the story of Moses and how the Hebrew slaves fight this, even though they're all taking the same journey together across yeah. the sea and into the, the, the promised land, and the way they fight it um, so vehemently, even though the evidence is right there that they are taken care of. So when we go back to the question, you know, how do you know you have enough? And I wanted to throw you this question, Dr. Bob, um, if you wanted to comment first on your book, and then I can reiterate this if you need. Do you feel that that inherent sense of lack that is the ego, some of the essence of the ego, keep that satisfaction out of reach? I wanted your thoughts on that, but tell us what you wanted to add about your book on that topic, and then I can ask that again. Um, yeah, no, I think I want to start with, with, with that one. Okay. That, yeah, goal, you know, A Course in Miracles talks about, you know, the goal is a shift in perception that that we are no longer seeing a world of separation. You know, we are, we are seeing uh, a world through the eyes of forgiveness in which we're not seeing bodies. We're seeing past bodies to the, the oneness of spirit. Mm. Um, so, so that's the goal here. Um, well, I'm sorry. What, 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 what was, uh, you know, where, where do we start with that? Cause I, I sort of wandered into a different arena with it. I, I know how you feel, so that's why I offered to reiterate it because I know we kind of we get we go into that zone, and then you come back yeah. and like, wait a second, what was I doing? I understand. Um, I had said uh, about from plagues to miracles and how it demonstrates right, the separateness. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So if we're if we're perceiving through ego, scarcity, lack, fear, separateness are inevitable because we're separate. We have you know. We don't have any sense of our safety. Um, we weren't built to be alone, um, not as bodies, uh, but especially not as spirit. So, yeah, from that perception, there's never enough. On the other hand, uh, from the perspective of spirit and making that journey, to me, um, the book of Exodus deals with this in a beautiful way, the promised land is that place where there's enough. And um, this actually will be a good segue uh, maybe for our next segment too because uh, when we talk in April, it will be shortly before Passover and Easter. Passover is the festival that, um, you know, that, that, that celebrates and commemorates the, uh, the release from bondage in Egypt and crossing the Red Sea. And I, 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 I want to talk about that. But one of the songs that's sung at the Passover Seder um, is called Dayenu. Dayenu literally means enough. And what it does is it takes 
each step of that journey and says, if all God had done um, was released us from Egypt, it would have been enough. If all God had done for us were to give us, you know, matzah, bread to sustain us for our journey, it would have been enough. If all God had done for us was to part the Red Sea and take us across, it would have been enough. Um, and I, I think this idea of when we're on that caravan, everything is enough because it's, it's leading us back towards our, our true birthright in spirit and oneness. Dainu, it's enough. You know, this is the, the power of gratitude as we sit here sharing this talk. You know, it's enough. We're, we're filled. Love fills every container you could possibly put it in because there's no container that can hold love. So love is always enough. Not love, the absence of love, uh, a lack of love will always, on the other hand, leave us with feeling emptiness, not enough, a hunger, um, a craving, a desire for attachment out of which all the ills of the world are born. Therefore, you know, we go around looking for more, more, and there comes the greed. Um, you know, back to Tibetan Buddhism, this lovely concept called a hungry ghost, which is just you know, an entity that, that, that's drifting that, that can't get enough, will never have enough. Um, so that concept of enough and, and using that as kind of a, a discriminant between, uh, to help us see where we're coming from ego and where we're coming from spirit, that's great. And the further along on your journey you are, the more stark those um, insights are. You know, if I start worrying about how to pay the bills, it is so glaring. I know that I have fallen out of my enoughness, my, my, my sense of spiritual oneness, uh, you know, because the pain of it is just too much. It, it's no longer the predominant reality, so I'm going to notice it. You know, if you live in, uh, down in Florida where the sun shines all the time and it's warm, you're going to notice a 20-degree day far more than we notice them up here in New Jersey, although we've had so many of them, we're all getting sick of them. Mm. But, uh, you know, the, the more you are able to um, embrace love and teach only love for that is what you are, the more you notice how, you know, how glaring it is when you fall out of that and the ego mind temporarily swings into the driver's seat, you know, to hijack your vehicle and take it in a direction of fear. And that's okay. I mean, that's going to happen. You know, that, that isn't a cause or a reason to berate yourself. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, there's another mistake. And what do we do with mistakes? We ask them, you know, we ask for correction. So the moment I'm in fear, oh, yeah, I fell into fear. I saw myself as limited. I must have seen myself as an ego. Let me shift my perception, remember who I am, feel the experience of love, the oneness of love. Okay, now back to Dayenu, enough. There is enough. There's always enough. Um, this, mm. this holds true for money. This holds true for health and physical illness. Even if you're extremely sick, you can embrace that place of love. Uh, and I believe you will have guidance that will lead you out of the suffering. It may not change the illness at all. Maybe your job is to have that illness so that you can teach other people who are stuck in their illnesses what it is to take a path of acceptance and love despite a physical body that isn't functioning in the way we want. I don't know. You know, we all have different paths. We all have different teaching assignments. You know, some of us teach English, some teach French, some teach math, some teach, uh, you know, uh, illness and health. We all have a different place to function. But if you are 
embracing that that truth uh, of yourself, then uh, hey, it, it, it's got to be enough by definition, and the experience of gratitude follows closely on its heels. It, it can't not. You know, if we have enough and we know that we've been taken care of, how can we not feel grateful? Mm. Absolutely. So, and mm-hmm. yeah. um, I was just going to say, so that's, you know, kind of sermon for the day. And mm-hmm. that is the goal of the Exodus journey. I mean, Exodus is that caravan. Uh, you know, it is the journey out of bondage that requires us first to wake up to the fact that we're in bondage and then going through the various stages and making that crossing. But I, I think I, it might be good timing to to take that up next time and look at it in terms of Passover uh, and Easter. Easter will absolutely get us back to the body because of the crucifixion, resurrection, uh, confusion. Um, I think Easter also opens up the whole topic of sacrifice, which, of course, if you're not a body, how can you sacrifice anything? You can't. There's nothing to sacrifice if you're not a body. But Mm -hmm. I think maybe we have our our topic for uh, April in terms of Passover, Easter, um, sacrifice and uh, Dayenu, enough. <laughs> we we sure do. That is going to be <laughs> fascinating because I love all three topics and I just I get the chills right now. Um, okay. And it's funny because uh, before the show, I flipped through A Course in Miracles, selected a passage that I wanted to read, and then set it to the side to prepare in other ways. And then as you were speaking and I got the word insurance, and everything segues that way. The, the reason I'm bringing this up, ladies and gentlemen, is, is because, you know, even as we do these segments, Dr. Bob and I are fascinated by the connection we share, even though he's in New Jersey and I'm in Florida, over telephone wires and electronics. And it's and we start to to go in tandem with our thoughts and our examples. And I, uh, as you were just talking and we're coming to the end of the segment, I said, Do, what was that passage I selected? Do I want to read that? And now I see that the answer is yes. And if you don't mind, I'd like to read that. I love it. And you, wait, you, watch how this ties in. This is so funny. Okay, so this is from Chapter 4, The Illusions of the Ego, Section 5, The Ego Body Illusion, Paragraph 4. And here's what it tells us. The body is the ego's home by its own election. It is the only identification with which the ego feels safe, since the body's vulnerability is its own best argument that you cannot be of God. This is the belief that the ego sponsors eagerly, yet the ego hates the body because it cannot accept it as good enough to be its home. Here is where the mind becomes actually dazed. Being told by the ego that it is really part of the body and that the body is its protector. The mind is also told that the body cannot protect it. Therefore, the mind asks, where can I go for protection? To which the ego replies, turn to me. (laughs) That's great. Wow. So we have What was the reference to that, just for listeners again? Chapter 5, you said? Chapter 4, Illusions of the Ego. Oh, 4. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Section 5. Section okay. 5, That's... the ego body illusion, paragraph 4. And that encapsulates everything we talked about because it's got 
the, identi- the, the self-concepts and the identification, the feeling safe, and the yearning for insurance or protection. It's perfect. Isn't that great? Yeah, I mean, it does so, wrap it all up. It does. And maybe we'll uh, come back to that next week a little bit, too. Um, you know, Absolutely. Uh, the first line of that, sesh, sesh, of that that segment is all things work together for good. I just flipped open to that, and it's like, yeah, on the caravan, all things do work together for good. Um, right. So, you know, I, I'd also like to just, in, in terms of, you know, your friend's death, which you opened with, uh, yeah. return to that and realize, you know, the love that this man brought into the world and um, the there may be no closer the irony of the world we live in is that there may be no closer bond of love than that of warriors in a war um, who rely upon each other for their their very survival and therefore expand their sense of self to be the entire band of brothers uh, even though it's in the middle of what we would see as the worst of ego conflict body and death war mm. so even in the heart of darkness, you know, the worst wars, there's this, this bonding, this oneness, this expansion of the sense of self into something more, i.e., there is love. There is love. And um, so I'm sure your friend, whether listening in or just picking up on the vibe, uh, will happily contact you in some way, and, you know, and there will be love. There is love. Funny you said that. Um... He gave me a gift uh, the last time I saw him, and uh, it was a, it's a cap, and it's got a pet, the, his airborne patch for his troop. Mm-hmm. And um, our other neighbor who lived across the street, and he vacationed with her in Las Vegas several times, he and his wife, and she came to visit me on Sunday. Uh, we didn't know it, but he died Saturday night. And so she comes into my home studio, and she, she says, what's this? I said, oh, Bill gave that to me. And we were talking about it, and she told me about their trips to Vegas. I said, well, that's what he told me. I was calling him, and he wasn't answering, and I go into a panic, and a couple weeks later, I'm still calling, and, and suddenly he answers the phone. And I was like, Bill, what are you doing? What, were you in the hospital again? The man was 90 years old. Uh. And, and he says, no, I went to Las Vegas with my grandchildren and my niece. I said, oh, you had a good time? He said he had a great time. And then she said, oh, we went there several times, and he would have a blast. And she called me last night and told me this news after uh, after our visit. And I said, oh, my God. Um, but I was immediately joyful that he got a chance to go to Vegas again because apparently it was one of his favorite places. He got to spend time with his grandchildren, one of whom um, I knew as a teenager. And um, my... I call her my aunt now because we're all so close, Marlene. Um, we got to share some memories, so that was nice too. But after she left, and I guess the next day or so, I was selecting a book off the shelf, and here comes this cat, flips over and tumbles out of the shelf and hits the floor. I was like, what was that about? And I picked it up, but I was so focused on what I was doing, I didn't analyze it like I would normally would. And I put it back on the shelf, and it fell again. <laughs> I was like, what is going on with this hat? And I took it, and I put it on top of something where it couldn't move. I was like, now stay there. And I and I walked away, you know. Like, was there a breeze? You know, I didn't stop. No. I didn't he was already here. 
So he was like already told, letting you know. He was already here. So like I told Alan last night, um, you know, it was a little, uh, it was a little sad, and I told him, and he's looking at me like, okay, how do I handle this? Is she going to lose it, or is she going to do that thing again where she lets go and she's like happy as a lark? Because you never know. But she I told me love. Through a course of miracles, I've learned to let go much, much more quickly, and I get to a place of peace much faster. And he's seen me demonstrate that, and he thinks it's kind of cool. So he looks at me. I said, I'm okay. I'm okay. And he, he says, I'm really sorry. And I, and I looked at him, and I tried to make a joke. I said, are you kidding me? I'll be talking to him within two weeks. And he says, yeah, I know you will. So I, it's not the last time I'll, I'll ever talk to Bill. I know I have to give it time and, and out of respect for his family. Um, yeah. I, can, I can step back. Um, it's not about me. So um, thank you for bringing him up again. And, and, yes, I think we should all see ourselves as a band of brothers and sisters. Yes, exactly. Protect each other. Save, save each other from harm and from humiliation and from anything this world offers that can hurt us and see the enemy. Well, when we're in that state, it can't hurt us. There are no enemies. I mean, we're a band of brothers making the journey together. Absolutely. And in that, we're all heroes, I do believe. Well, thank you, Dr. Bob. And just to let everybody know, our next segment will be the second Thursday of April 2014, April 10th. Uh, Look forward to us discussing everything that was – born or emerged from this and we'll be discussing all the great stuff like uh, releasing release from bondage and uh, the crucifixion yeah. resurve- resurrection and sacrifice I'm sure we'll build a wonderful segment with that and don't forget as always I, I want to mention to you Dr. Bob I don't see anybody in the queue that had a question however when I check the numbers I know there's something faulty with the numbers when I check the numbers afterwards I see that there were live callers so I want to throw out an apology. If you did call in with a question and I did not bring you on the air, it's because I did not see you. I don't see anyone in the queue. So this, perhaps this is something I can approach um, yeah, Howard at Blood Radio. There's got to be because it, it always says that there are there were live callers. Uh, uh, so I have to figure that out. So my apologies to anyone who had a question and felt ignored. That was not the intention. I literally physically cannot see that you were there. So I could not bring you on. I will address that, see what I can do behind the scenes. Um, but good. until then, of course, as we always tell you, we're on Facebook. We're here for you, whether you have questions, comments, or something you'd like to share. Dr. Bob is at From Plagues to Miracles on Facebook. I, of course, am at Spiritual Insights. You can, there's a direct link to Dr. Bob's page. And, of course, I would always encourage you, if you uh, whether you're into the Bible, um, no matter your religion, and whether or not you're familiar with The Course of Miracles, get his book, From Plagues to Miracles. It's available on Amazon. It will open your eyes to so many things. Um, I know the title's a lot longer than that, Dr. Bob, but... Yeah, it's all right. Um, (laughs) People can also email me directly through the book's website, um, www.fromplaguestomiracles.com, and I have on the media tab on that page um, all of our talks... Uh, in one place with links to uh, where you can find them on Blog Talk Radio. So if you want to access previous conversations we've had, that might be the best place to uh, you know, index them all. Um, but again, if you want to reach me, you can do it through the website. Uh, you can send an email, um, and it comes to, uh, to me through the website. 
All right. Perfect. Uh, All right, and don't forget, you can ask uh, questions on any segment. Not any. You yes. don't have to keep it specific. Any question across any subject, across any segment, we're we're welcome to receive from you. All right. Well, Dr. Bob. See, talk to you in April. <laughs> been a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. Until every uh, until next time, everybody. Thank you so much. God bless and be at peace. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you, Dr. Bob. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.